morning, church. How are you doing today? I feel so loud. This is intense. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us. I just want to welcome you first. If you're a guest and I've never had a chance to meet you, I'm so glad you're here. We love having new guests join us for worship. And if you would like to stop by our welcome desk, we have a gift for you. Uh, we'd love to bless you for joining us this morning. Uh, and we'd love to get to know more about you. If you want to meet me or meet any of our staff, I would love for you to come by, say hello. Uh, we always want to make sure that when people come through our church, you're not just uh, kind of a passing shadow. You're, you're a welcomed guest here. And so we're excited that you're with us. Hey, before we jump into worship, it's kind of our uh, modus operandi, if you will, that we want to just kind of let our church family know of some things going on. Uh, the reason being is church can be very, very busy. If you've been here for any length of time, you know there's all kinds of things going on. So a couple of things that I wanted to highlight for you that I'm really looking forward to is first, our, uh, our next round of baptisms are going to be at the start of November. Uh, we love, baptisms are some of my favorite services we do. It's a celebration of what God is doing in people's lives. We get to hear from them of how uh, Christ has impacted them and moved in their life. And we get to celebrate with them as they take that step of faith in baptism as well. So if you have any questions about baptism uh, or you are thinking about b being baptized, you've been to one of our services and uh, kind of been thinking about it, I would invite you, please let me know or, or let Heather know at our desk. We would love to learn a little bit more and chat with you. We are going to be having a baptism class the first weekend in November. Uh, and so we'll just kind of take a chance to go through that. And just so you know for these classes, if you go to that, it is not a commitment at all that next week you're going to have to get dunked, okay? So there's, sometimes there's a the pressure of if I go to the class, that's it, I'm in. It's really just a chance for you to learn about what baptism is uh, and why it's important and kind of talk through that as we head towards it. So again, Mikey Callens, that's the first week in November we'll be having our class and then the second week in November is going to be our baptisms as well. Second thing that I wanted to mention is uh, a group of our wonderful congregants here have uh, decided to put on a game night in the first weekend of October, on Friday, October 6th. Are the, are the Starzix and Romanowitz around? Am I seeing you? Oh, there they are. They're hiding out at the back. Um, so uh, this is going to be great for us, right? And the reason we do stuff like this, it's going to be a fun night, but the heart behind it is we want to get together as a church family and enjoy fellowship together, whatever that looks like, right? We want to, we want to be family. We want to enjoy good time together. So if you're interested in jumping in on that, please chat to one of us, chat to the Stasics or the Romanowitz. We'd love to make sure you get all the details on that, and you can find that on your, your bulletin as well. Well, just before we jump into uh, worship this morning, I wanted to remind us a little bit about why we gather here, because we don't come to church, uh, if this is a surprise to you, we don't come to church to make a checklist. We don't come to kind of reset our respectability clocks. We don't come to try and end points with God. I want you to know if you're a guest or whether you're a regular attendant with us this morning, what we do here on Sundays is remind our hearts of the great God that has done something incredible for us. He has sent his son to be for us what we could never be for ourselves, to pay the price for our sin so that we can be forgiven, and to invite us into a vibrant, deep, abiding relationship with the Father. That's why we are here. So I just want, whatever you have brought with you this morning, I want you to lay it down this morning at the cross and be welcomed, not by me, but by God, who invites you to come and know him, to know his son, and to rest in the work of his son, Jesus. So would you stand with me as we head into worship this morning? We know we, we easily think of worships and singing out to the Lord as, as the kind of worship, but really worship is any time that we're letting our hearts look to and rightly think about God. Uh, and so when we come in prayer, when we talk to him, we are reminding ourselves, we are rightly asserting in our own hearts, God listens and he is his people. And so that's worship too. Uh, and so in prayer this morning, we wanted to recognize a unique group of people who serve in our church 
in a very important way, and that's our Stephen ministers. If you haven't heard about our Stephen ministers before, that's okay, because uh, you're going to get to hear about them this morning, because this is a really vital uh, role in our church, really incredible, something that over the last couple of years we've, we've tried to grow in uh, and uh, invest in. Uh, a Stephen minister is someone from our congregation who's been trained to walk along, alongside those who are going through extended periods of difficulty whether that be recovering from an illness, whether it's an unexpected diagnosis, whether it's divorce, grief, job loss. Our Stephen ministers have been trained to be able to care for our congregation well. There's gonna be an informational lunch on this. This is always something that you can jump in on. If you have a heart for this, if you wanna be someone who cares for and walks alongside people in challenge, uh, you can go along to our South Street campus on Sunday, October 8th at noon after church just to learn a little bit more about this and see whether this is something you can jump in on. But this morning, I wanted to recognize some of those in our congregation and in, in our wider church family who are doing this uh, on a weekly basis, and sometimes we don't take notice of them. So if you were a Stephen minister, could you stand up for me? So we, we have uh, 18 different Stephen ministers right now spread across four campuses of our church family. So that's, as you can imagine, that's a lot. And there's a lot of different things in which people need assistance. So this is just a small kind of representation uh, of this amazing team and the work they're doing. So I thought as a church family, what we could do this morning is pray for you guys because God is moving through you in really important ways. And so we wanna bless you. We wanna come behind you. This is a biblical thing. When in, in the book of Acts, uh, the apostles would lay hands on those who were doing the work of service in the body. Uh, so if you will, would you pray with me for our team of Stephen ministers this morning? Father, we thank you for these men and women who have given their time, given their talents to serve and build up your church body, to love those who are going through difficult times. God, we are grateful for your care for us and we recognize that you have invited us to join with you in your care for your people. Lord, you have gifted us, you've empowered us by your spirit. And so, Father, as these men and women reach out to serve those in need, those who are going through challenging times, God, we pray that you would work mightily through them. God, we pray for great stories of your faithfulness, of your healing, of your restoration coming through the work that they do. Lord, we bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's continue to worship together. It's one of my greatest joys to have a front row seat to watch what God is doing in the lives of our littlest Chapel Streeters. And I want to invite you to join. God wants to make an impact on the next generation. And now, more than ever, kids need to hear the truth of God's Word, learn the love that He showed us when He sent us Jesus, and be reminded of who He created them to be. You know, I think sometimes we might assume that someone else will fill that need, or it's not me they're looking for. But let me assure you, if your heart is willing, we have a spot that's just right for you. We want you to be aware of our most critical needs as we move to having full kids ministry at three services at our Kesslinger campus. Adults are needed in the nursery, in the preschool and elementary classrooms, and there are their roles for helpers and teachers and small group leaders. One-on-one -on -one buddies are needed for our Masterpiece kids and students. This ministry is making a giant impact in our community, and new families are joining every week when they learn that Chapel Street has a place for them. Then, after a really special VBS week at our North Aurora campus, we're launching Adventure Club there on Tuesday nights. We believe that this will be another avenue that God will use for impacting that neighborhood.
So if you have a couple of hours available on Tuesday evenings, helping in crafts or game time or leading a small group, we could really use your help. Every week I hear stories from our volunteers telling us what a blessing it is to serve Chapel Street Kids and Masterpiece Ministries. So we'd love for you to say yes to this invitation. And there's a kiosk right outside in the lobby, folks there that will help you find a spot that works for you. All right, while we're looking for our next uh, Family Life Coordinator, I'm not grateful that she put that VBS video clip in there. (laughs) And I will be bringing that up with her. Even though my dance moves were beyond questioning, but um, I just want to highlight really quick some of the things that Miss Becky said. First of all, she said if we had even a dozen more people, 12 more people who said yes once a month to saving in our kids, uh, that we would be fully staffed back there. I know that that's a really critical need, and as, as Becky said, sometimes we can think, well, I don't know if that's for me or if I fit that or if I'm going to be good at that. I, I just want to encourage you. The Lord has empowered you as one of his people to live and serve his kids. No matter who you are, where you are, what your background is, if you love Jesus, you've got what you need because the Holy Spirit's with you. And then the second thing she mentioned is our Sunday night program that we call Navigate that happens on Sunday nights here at the campus. And it's really an outreach to kids in the neighborhood, many of whom have never had any experience of church before or had Bible stories before. Uh, And God is doing really wonderful, incredible things there. I look forward to sharing stories of different things that happen there. We're actually going on our very first student retreat with them in October. Uh, And so God is doing some really great things. So uh, before we jump in, I just want to pray first that God would speak to us through his word, but also that he would move in our own hearts to to go with him. uh, Because what what Becky said last there is, I think, perhaps the most important. When we look in what what God's doing with our young people, it's a glimpse to the future of this campus. It's a glimpse to what is coming for us and what God's heart is for. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you have invited us to join with you in your most important work. God, we are humbled that you would ask people like us to join you, but we are also encouraged that you have given us your spirit to walk with you, to follow you wherever you lead, uh, and to see you do great things. So Lord, we trust you, and now we pray as we come to your word, you'd speak to us, you'd humble us again and challenge us again, but you'd also bring great encouragement to our hearts as we remember who you are and what you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we are jumping back in in our series, Pathway to Purpose, here. Um, uh, this last few weeks, uh, my wife, Janae, has just started working as a social worker in an elementary school, so it's been a, kind of a different time for our family as we're figuring out the schedule. And so Mondays have become, for me, what I call Super Daddy Day, where we kind of hang out, the, the younger kids and me, we hang out, we have a great time, and I make sure that they're being appropriately trained in loving me more than mom, Right. But uh, one of the things that always happens every Monday without fail is my two youngest, who are Calvin and Annie, Annie's four, Calvin's two, they're wonderful, Annie especially, she's so polite, she's kind of grown in that, but there's always one moment every Monday where things take like a real hard turn, okay? And that's when it comes to sharing toys together. So a couple of Mondays ago, we were playing with this little, uh, a couple of years ago, we got like a little ice cream truck toy. It's like a little table that you can dispense fake ice creams with, you know. And Annie was having a great time making some ice creams, you know. And Calvin wanders over and he wants to have a tent too. I thought I was going to have to get like an FBI negotiator in between them. It was getting way too violent over this. And here's what it was. Annie didn't want to share, right? She had something really great, something really fun. She loved it, but that was her thing, right? That was for her and she didn't want to share it with her siblings, Now, that is because in each and every one of us, our hearts are pre-wired 
to want to hold on to the good things that we've received. It's, it is not in human nature, in my opinion, to share easily. It would be silly of me to suggest it's not there at all, but I, I think most of us would agree sharing can be really difficult. Sharing the things that we have can be really difficult. And I, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, who love this and know that this is important, we, we look at kids like that and we see right there, it's in the heart, isn't it? It's hidden in the heart of every human being, even from a young age, I want to hold on to the things I've got. And this is so important for us to think about when we think about what God has given us because it's no less true in our spiritual life that we like to hold on to the things that we've received. We don't like to share easily. But as part of our new life in Christ, it's part of our new nature that we've been given by coming to Christ, being loved by Christ, being raised to life with Christ, that we are to be a people who shares the grace that we've received in a variety of different ways. When we think about this pathway to purpose, we are thinking about what God has called us to. We're thinking about the life that God has called us to in his son, Jesus. When we say we're followers of Jesus, it's kind of a, a, an examination, a, a consideration of those things that he's asked us to live out. And we've looked at this together as a church by looking at six Gs. We've got a picture here of, of the six Gs a little bit closer up. Now, you won't find these in your Bible, of course, but what these are, they are a kind of a, a summation of the values that God has called us to if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. These six Gs are an attempt to describe what God has called us to. Now, I, I want to give us a reminder before we go too deep into this. This is something we've tried to say at the start of every week. This is not a checklist. These things, these six Gs, are not things that we have to do in order to receive God, God's love. This is not kind of the, the working routine. These are not things that God wants from us. These are things that God wants for us. And that's really important to remember. These are invitations to participate in the life of God, in the amazing life that he's called you to have in his son Jesus. And it's important because to be a follower of Jesus, it isn't theoretical. It isn't kind of just this idea that we let linger in the back of our minds. It's a life to, to or it's a, it's a call to live a life that is actively pursuing the expansion of God's kingdom in the world. A life that is saying, I want to I bring this grace that I've received, this good news that I've received about Jesus, I want to bring it to other people in a variety of different ways. And so we've talked about the importance of different parts of this. We started by talking about what it means to experience grace, to be a people who pursue sharing the gospel together and then gathering in church together. Two things that are incredibly vital to a vibrant, healthy, living, active relationship with God. And then last, just last week, Pastor Jeff talked to us about what it means to grow in our faith, to have personal devotion and a devotion to community. Because we learn in Acts 2, we're at the start of this series, the early church was devoted. They were devoted to a certain lifestyle, and that included being devoted to God in their personal lives, but also being devoted to God in community together. They broke bread together. They walked through life together. And what Pastor Jeff reminded us is it's impossible to grow in our faith if we do one or the other. Those have to be held together. We have to be a, a people who pursue Christ when no one's looking, and we have to be a people who pursue Christ in community together. And really, last week rolled straight into this week, because what we're talking about this week is what it means to make an impact. If we are, if we are gathering together for worship, if the gospel's going deep in our hearts, if we're growing in our faith, it is going to automatically lead us to be a people that want to make an impact for the kingdom of God in the place where God has placed us. And we do that through two primary things, through going to serve and giving generously. And we're going to look at those two things together this morning. And the way that I want to do that is I want to look at Matthew 20. 
It's an account of Jesus with his disciples talking about his own life and talking about the kind of life that he's called them to. So let me read this to you. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give. Now this, this whole account occurs in the middle of the disciples having a bit of a silly argument. And in fact, it's, it's James and John's mother who starts this in Matthew. She has this brilliant idea of saying, let's go make sure that Jesus puts you at the front of the line in heaven. So let's go talk to him about it. So they go over and they, they talk about who is the greatest and they kind of get grumbling. As you can imagine, you've got 12 guys there. They've all seen some pretty spectacular things and they start arguing about who the greatest is. And Jesus, being the great teacher that he is, he overhears this, he hears this. And this is what he says. He says, you are thinking the way that the world thinks. You're not thinking the way that the father thinks. You're not thinking the way that I've called you to think. I want you to be different. I want you to be different than the rest of the world that has a really hard time sharing the good things that God has given them. I want you to be a people who love, like me, to serve and to give. To serve and to give. See, God has not called us to kind of be these uh, fattening up spiritual guys and, and gals who, who just receive what God has done for us and let it store up and store up and store up. He wants us to be doers of the word. He wants us to be a people who receive grace and then pour it out. That's what it means to serve. Jesus is confronting here what is the primary purpose of the Christian life. We see often here at Chapel Street, we are not a church primarily for ourselves, we are a church for our neighbors. That's not to say that God isn't doing great things in our own hearts, but it's to say that the call on our lives is to not let the gospel end with us. To not let ourselves become the ending place for God's work, but the starting place. So we're going to zoom in on those two things that Jesus said, to serve and to give. And we're going to challenge ourselves to think about what, is it, what does it really mean to be a church that is not primarily for ourselves, but for our neighbors. So let's talk about serving. Jesus said he came not to serve, but to serve. Someone told me recently that they're going to be doing some work on the, uh, the dams on the Fox River, you know, in St. Charles and Geneva. You guys heard about this? They're going to be kind of moving them. And people have kind of got different opinions on this. But one of the reasons they're doing this is because the health of the river has been declining. Because there hasn't been as much flow in the river. And you, if you know anything about rivers, you know that a flowing river is always going to be healthier than a river that is, is moving slowly or is standing still. Standing water, it doesn't get oxygenated by the flow, and so all kinds of bacteria and viruses and insects start kind of growing in the water. Right? So we've got a picture here you see there on the left. That's a stagnant river. It's a river that's not flowing enough, and all kinds of things start to grow. And it's not, it's not just that it doesn't look pretty. Wildlife around the side and vegetation around the side starts to have an impact on them because there's not enough oxygen in the water. Now the contrast is a flowing river. A flowing river that's moving and it's got pace to it and it's, it's moving, it's getting an inlet with water coming in and it's got an outlet with water going out. There's constant flow and that movement oxygenates the water and it makes it healthier. It makes it safer to drink. It makes it better for wildlife. And I think right there is a picture of the life that God's called us to. 
It's an image of what it means to be a healthy, growing follower of Jesus, to be a flowing river. God is always calling us to a life that flows, that has movements, whether it's baby steps or giant leaps. He's calling us to be a people that take the grace we've received and pour it out in some way. We know that God has poured his life into us through his son. He sent Jesus Christ to be for us what we couldn't be for ourselves. He's poured out his love, the scriptures say, in Jesus. So we know there's an inlet to our life. If we're walking with him, if we're studying his word, if we're growing in community, God is pouring his love and his life into us constantly. But watch your outlet. If God's pouring himself out into you, where are you pouring that grace back out? Is there something that comes to mind easily, quickly? Is there a place in your life where you are ensuring that you are a flowing believer and not a stagnant believer? Because when we're stagnant believers, when there's no outlet to our life, bad things start to grow. We become forgetful. We fail to see our neighbors around us, the people that God has called us to. So that's why we say this, as going to serve means this, we've got a definition. As followers of Jesus, we understand that God has work for us to do. We believe that he has called us to go and to serve our church, our community, our neighbors, and our world. So I think there's three things that I want to highlight about good, thoughtful, biblical service. The first is this, is that we were recreated in Christ to serve. We were recreated in Christ to serve. In Ephesians, Paul is talking to the church and he says this. In one of the most famous uh, lines about grace, he says, it's by grace that you have been saved. You haven't contributed anything to this. This is God out of love for you, giving to you what you need. It's grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, which is equally as important, for, which means that everything that's just come in front has a purpose. You've been saved by grace for what? For you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's saying, yeah, absolutely, we're saved by grace. It's an act of God. We don't do anything to end God's love for us, but because we've received his love, because God has renewed us and he's done something important in us, now he's calling us to go and to serve, to do good works that he prepared for us before the foundations of the world. Why has he called us to do that? Why has he worked to do that in us? Because that's what it means to be created in the image of God. To be an image bearer of God means what? It means you are imaging God to the world. It means that you live a life that the rest of the world looks at you and says, that's what God is like. I can see him. Now, everybody's created in the image of God, but we don't always live that out. We don't always fully embrace that. And so Christ came so that we would. He came to renew us so that we would. Part of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 20 when he says the son of man came not to be served but to serve, what he's not saying is, man, you guys have really messed up so now I'm gonna have to serve y'all, I'm gonna have to give because you really, you really messed this one up. What he's saying is, no, actually, this is who I've always been as God from the garden. You remember the garden? Remember how generous he was to Adam and Eve? He gives them the entire world, he blesses them, he provides for them. He creates systems that would provide for them. It has always been God's nature and character and identity to be one who serves and one who gives. Always. What Jesus is saying is that's who you were always meant to be. This is not a change of plan. This is not, okay, things have gone wrong, so let's come up with something else. This is Jesus saying, I'm trying to recover for you what your real identity is. I'm trying to give it back to you to be a living, walking image of the God who serves and gives. Second, service is a needed part of the body. 
Service is a needed part of the body. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You remember the parable of the talents? If you're not familiar with this story, Jesus tells a, a story, a parable, where there's three men, he gives them different amounts of money. This master gives them different amounts. He gives a small amount, a medium amount, and a large amount. And each of those three guys do something a little bit different. The first one, who doesn't have a lot, buries it. And the other two guys go and invest it. They take some risks with it. One guy kind of gets a little bit of return. One guy gets a lot of return. And then the master comes back and he says, okay, let's see what you got. Let's see how this worked out. And the first guy who buried it says, well, I was really worried that I would mess up. I was really worried that I would lose your money, and so I just, I just buried it to keep it safe. Do you know who the only one of the three that the master chastises? The guy who buried it. He said, did you really believe that that's who I was? Do you believe that's how harsh I was, that I would give you these gifts, that I would give you this opportunity, and that I would turn against you if things went wrong? You see, the idea behind that parable that Jesus is trying to say is God has, has given grace, and we are called to be faithful stewards of that grace. We are not meant to bury it. It's important. It's needed. There are people in the well, people in the church, people in our community who need the gifts that God has put into us. Ephesians 4 says this. says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, church isn't a time for consumption, it's a time for contribution. Amen. This isn't a place where we come to, to find ourselves up, to fill ourselves up with good news and then let it end on us. This is a place for us to come and bring the grace that God has given to us and share it with our family. I just, I hope you know this, but I wanna, I wanna take a few moments here to encourage you, church for you to understand that your Father in heaven does not see you as a dispensable part of this church body. It doesn't matter whether you're serving the coffee or the welcome desk, you're working with the kids. God does not look at this church and say, okay, the guys who are really getting it done are the ones on the stage. It couldn't be further from what's in the heart and the mind of God. Every single one of us in this church are vital to the mission of God. In fact, so vital that without you, we cannot be what God has called us to be. We can't. There are gifts of grace in all of you that God has given you to serve the body, and the body cannot become what it's intended to be without you. Don't assume, as Miss Becky said earlier, that someone else can get it, that you don't quite have the gifts that are needed. It doesn't matter whether you're an apostle or a prophet. Do you, do you read through that list? There is a lot of gifts there. You do not need to be someone with a microphone or a preacher. A lot of people talk to me about this with kids. I'm not, I'm not a great teacher. That's okay. Love them. Play games with them. Build a relationship with them. Because it's not, it's not the teacher that's doing the work. It's the Spirit of God. Through his people who are faithful to love and to serve and to be whatever they can be for those around them. Last note about service really quick. Service is empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God who's at work. It's kind of what we just mentioned. 
We cannot be effective ministers and servants of others without the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's one part where Paul's having a debate with the church and they're arguing, well, which, who's, who's better, this guy Paul or this guy Apollos? Both of them were phenomenal teachers in the Bible, doing some incredible things. And what Paul says is we shouldn't even be having that debate because it's neither he who plants or he who reaps. It's God who brings the increase. He's the one who's doing the work. We just get to be with him because he loves us and he's inviting us to be with him. I want to invite you this morning to remember that your success in serving is not dependent on your ability, it's dependent on your willingness. Your willingness to give the Spirit of God freedom and opportunity to move in your life. Give him a chance to show up for you. Don't decide for the Holy Spirit where you're going to be of best use to the church. Talk to him about it. He's living and active. He'd love to have that conversation with you. He delights to have that conversation with you. Another thing that I've, I've mentioned a couple of times here at church, sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts and what the, the Spirit has equipped us to do, we tend to think in categories of what am I good at and what, uh, what, what do I like to do. Now, those are two very helpful ways to think about how you can serve in a church. We should all be doing that. Because chances are, if you are gifted at something and you enjoy doing something, God's called you to do that. But it's not the only ways we think about spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts given by the Spirit are more often than not things that you couldn't do without the Spirit's grace to you. And two, two people I always use an example of this is King Solomon in the Old Testament. King Solomon, who's said to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. And if you read his story, he doesn't start out as a really wise guy. What he starts out as is a king who says, my country needs wisdom. My people need wisdom. So I'm gonna ask God, who has all wisdom, to equip me to be able to serve my people as a good king. And so Solomon does that and the spirit moves in his life and he becomes wise. So he doesn't say, I'm gonna be a wise king. He says, I'm not a wise king. I need the spirit to make me wise. So the spirit moves, it gifts him to do it. Another great example of this is Peter in the New Testament, right? If you have ever read even a few pages of the New Testament, you will know that Jesus' good friend Peter, if there was one thing he was known for not being good at, it was talking to crowds of people. He was terrible at it. There's, in fact, there's one occasion where he opens his mouth because he thinks he's got the right answer and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Would you assume that the guy who's getting told, get behind me, Satan, is gonna be the future preacher? You'd be like, oh, that guy's going to the back of the line. But what ends up happening is in the book of Acts, Peter, he's, he's with the, the disciples, the spirit of God falls on them, it moves in their hearts, and all of a sudden, this fisherman that had no schooling, that had no ability, that had no talent on his own, becomes the greatest preacher who'd ever lived, and preaches a sermon so fantastic, 5,000 people come to know Jesus in one day. That was not Peter, that was the spirit of God, using Peter who said, here I am, send me. I love my Lord Jesus, I love his people, I wanna be about what he's about, so Spirit, would you use me? And I invite you to see the spectacular things that God can do through you if you say that same thing. There are some of us who would long to be used by God in spectacular ways. And the problem is we always define those for God what that's gonna be. Instead of saying, God, you tell me. You tell me how you want me to serve your church, how you want me to move, and I will follow you, I will trust you, and I'll get myself in awkward, messy, difficult situations because I know that those are the places where you're gonna show up in great ways. What is robbing you of all your margin and time? I wanna suggest to you that perhaps nothing's robbing you of your margin and time. 
you're robbing yourself of margin and time. I'm glad that I got one amen. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> okay, we still got a lot to get through here. So, okay, Christ came not to serve, but to serve, but he also came to give. He also came to give. He said, I came not to serve, but to serve and to give. My life is a ransom for many. Uh, this summer, we hosted the VBS here at the church, and one of the things we always try to do at our VBS is encourage our kids to practice generosity by bringing whatever they have to contribute to a mission uh, of God somewhere in the world. And we did two things this summer. We invited kids to give to Cure International to help start a hospital uh, in Zambia. And we invited them here in our VBS at North Aurora to, to put together money so we could help the school buy new playground equipment. The kids raised over $10,000 for Cure. And just out of just 50 kids here at North Aurora, they raised over $700 to help support the school across the street. That's a beautiful picture of generosity. You know why? Those kids were not bringing in 50s. They were bringing in nickels and dimes. But they were excited about jumping in on being generous, just like Jesus was generous to them. It's always been the message in the church. In 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to his, uh, his protege, Timothy, and he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold, and this is huge, of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. I want to go back because I jumped over a definition for give. I want to give us this so we can think about this. So if we go back, it says this. As followers of Jesus... We believe that our God is an incredibly generous God. We have to stop there. Everything that's about to come is because of that. Any generosity that comes from us is because we believe that our God is an incredibly generous God. And we understand that when we give generously, it reflects his heart. And it makes an impact in this world and it's good for our own souls. So three things I want to remind us about giving. First, wealth is dangerously deceptive. Wealth can be dangerously deceptive. It, what uh, we just read there in First Timothy 6, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. What Paul is saying is not money is bad, stay away from it. He's saying it's uncertain. It can't do for you what God can do for you. And your heart will always be prone to put its trust in wealth. This has been true throughout human history. We shouldn't feel bad about it. It's something that happens in every single one of us. We are prone to put our trust in wealth, our security in wealth. But wealth is deceptive. I once wrote a st uh, read a story online, I think it was in the New York Times, about uh, a gentleman who uh, was buried in his Cadillac. Um, he was a multimillionaire real estate mogul. He was wearing $100,000 worth of jewelry. And this is my favorite part. He was doused in Moet champagne. What a waste. The body was escorted from his funeral service to the crematorium in a $150,000 Bentley, okay? But I don't know what that guy was thinking when he was planning his funeral. We're told by Jesus in Luke 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Because you think of a more Western idea, and dare I say it as an Englishman, an American idea, than life consisting in the abundance of our possessions. 
I will be the first to admit in this room that as much as I disagree with that with my words, and in my head I say, no, of course life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. I often live my life as though it does. I, I spend my money as though it does. I accumulate things for myself as though it does. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That story goes on, and that is a parable again that Jesus tells. He says it's a, there's a guy who, he has tremendous wealth, he has a great harvest, and he doesn't know what to do with it all. So again, he stores it in his barns, and that night he dies. And God confronts him and says, you fool. Now who's gonna get all of that harvest? Now who's gonna get the blessing of all those things that was provided to you? And what God is saying is, is he's seeing everything that you've received is an opportunity to be generous and to bless others and to extend the kingdom of God. Do you see the deception? Pastor Brian's always said at our church that generosity is freedom from smallness of heart. Kevin, you fire me up, man. God asks you to be generous because he understands your heart better than you do. He understands the deception of wealth and he understands that freedom does not come from holding on to things. Freedom comes from letting go of it. Freedom comes from letting go of it. He knows, as John Mark Comer says, that generosity is the antidote to the disease of greed. Second thing, generosity is the heart of God. Generosity is the heart of God. We're told in Ephesians 1, verses seven through eight, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished upon us. God's not stingy. He doesn't withhold. He lavishes grace upon us. I just want you to remember, when you wake up tomorrow and you're wondering, how does God feel about you? How much grace does God want to extend to you? Have you worn him down? Have you thinned out his grace? I want you to remember these words. He lavishes it upon you. He loves to do it. When you wake up in the morning, no matter what you have done, no matter where you are at, no matter where your heart is resting, the Father delights to lavish upon you the riches of his grace. Because he's generous. Because that's who he is. He doesn't think twice about it. He, doesn't, he isn't arguing the merits of his generosity. He just says, this is who I am. I'm going to pour forth who I am on my people. If you don't understand where generosity comes from, it'll always be a foreign concept for you. It'll always be something strange because generosity doesn't start with you, it starts with God. If we see it as some burden, some price that we have to pay in order to receive his love, it, it will be tedious, it will be guilting, it will be shaming, and yet, if we see it as the gift that God has lavished upon us, we'll rejoice to be generous because we are drawing near to the heart of God. We're reminding ourselves of who he is. Last thing, generosity produces blessing. Generosity produces blessing. In 2 Corinthians 9, we're told this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, and listen to this, he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So do you have enough grace for all things, all times, all places, all circumstances? Yes. God has lavished his grace upon you. He gives his grace so that you have all of your need. You see, when we understand that, the blessing of generosity becomes this. We don't have to give 
out of scarcity. We give out of abundance. We give because God has lavished on us everything we need. There is nothing that you possess that you need to grow in Christ. Only his spirit, only his grace. I love the, the line in the song, um, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It says, there is no more for heaven now to give. Heaven has emptied itself for you in Jesus Christ. Now to be clear, I, I just wanna make sure that this is, this is clear. The blessing of generosity is not that God will reimburse you dollar for dollar, whatever you give to him in his kingdom. Because the money is not the blessing. The opportunity to love him and to love your neighbor is the blessing of generosity. That's what he's called us to. And that's what he's liberated us to do by giving us his son is to finally love him because we don't need anything from him. We don't need to buy anything from him and to love our neighbor because we don't need anything from them either because God has given us everything we need. Now our neighbors become uh, simply an opportunity for us to practice the heart of God in generosity. Remember what First Timothy says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is God's heart for you. That's the blessing, life that is truly life. God is inviting you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. There is no greater blessing that God can invite you into than to work beside, beside him, to participate with him in serving and giving. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll do things at home with my kids, I'll do tasks around the house. Even though they complicate it and make it slightly difficult, I love doing it with them. I love doing it with them. I like when they're with me and they wanna be with me and your father in heaven wants you to participate in his mission with him because he loves you, because he loves you. Even when you complicate it for him, even when you make it more difficult, he loves doing it with you. He wants to do it with you. That's why Jesus chose 12 guys who had no idea what they were doing because he loved to do it with them. He didn't want to do it by himself, even though he could. So here's the conclusion. Serving and giving, it's an intentional call in our lives. It's a part of this pathway to discovering our purpose in Christ, but we can only do it if we see that both of those things have their origin, not in us, but in Jesus. In Jesus, who himself said, I didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give. Have you tasted and seen the grace of God in Christ? Do you understand that he served you? Do you understand that he loves to be generous to you, to care for you? Serving and giving are not withdrawals from your bank account, they are deposits. Serving and giving is God through his spirit putting more into you. Opportunities to grow in him, to thrive in him, to discover the heart of God. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, right? Many of us have seen it on the cheeks of football players. We know what it, well, it's on the screen, so I won't test you. But it says this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What does verse 17 say? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, that we would take hold of the life that is truly life. God gave so that you would take hold of the life that is truly life. God served and gave his son, not so that you'd be condemned, not you'd feel bad and say, well, gosh, I better give more, I better serve more, because if I don't, I'm in trouble. No, he gave and he served so that you can say, I've been freed I'm not enslaved to my possessions. I'm not enslaved to my money. I'm not enslaved to my time. I've been freed to be a part of the greatest work of God in history. God delights to have you with him. 
So I want to, if we could go back real quick, I want to look at that hexagon right at the start that we put up of the different parts of the pathway. And I want you to look at that as we close. And I'm just going to leave a few minutes here for you to pray and invite God to speak to you as we, as we kind of wrap this series up together to consider where is God calling you to keep moving, to keep growing. Not because he wants anything from you, but because he has more for you. Because the God of heaven loves you and is calling you to participate in the life of Christ with him. So let's just take a few minutes, let's pray about that together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that in your son you have called us to new life, a new nature, a nature of giving, a nature of serving. And Father, I thank you that we don't find those things in our own effort, our own motivation. We find them in your son who said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give. And Lord, we'll never be able to outgive the one who gave his very life on the cross for us. We'll never be able to outserve the one who is humiliated for us. Father, reawaken us to who your son is and to who we are in him. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's good to be together to remind ourselves of the one who served and who gave. And more than that, the call, the invitation he has given you to come with him and to continue to take the grace that he's given you and to pour it out. I encourage you, if you want to learn more about our Stephen ministers, they have a table out there. You can pick up some pamphlets on the informational meeting. And I want to remind us as well, we can fill those gaps in kids' ministry today. Just a dozen people who say yes once a month, and we'll be overflowing with people who can love and serve our kids and continue to build the kingdom of God in their lives. Is there any way that we can pray for you? I want to remind you, we have a prayer room available. We love you. We're glad you're here. We're glad for what God is doing here and we pray it will continue. But now let me leave you with this benediction. May we go in remembrance of the one who though he was rich became poor for our sakes so that we may become rich. May we live his life out in ever increasing degrees. In the name of Jesus we go, amen.